welcome to another wonderful, extra special, extra spectacular episode of Normandy FM. As always, I am one of your co-hosts, Eric Van Allen, alongside my co-host, Kenneth Shepard. How are you doing today? I'm in pain. Life is miserable. I'm so tired. I can hear you. You sound, you sound weary. You sound. Yeah. The world is weighing down upon you. Yeah, you know, long you day, know what's going to help week, with that? Long life. Mm. Bringing in a friend, a pal, one Matt, aka Stormageddon. Matt, how you doing here? I'm doing great. I'm very excited to finally be on the show. Uh, to, yeah. to, quote, to quote Mr. Peanut Butter, what is this, a crossover episode? Sorry. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, uh, we, we decided to get you on this show because um, apparently Josephine, you are a Josephine fan. I am. And it's funny because the first time, the first time I ever played Dragon Age Inquisition, I didn't finish it. I think I didn't even get to when you had your own base of operations in Castle. I don't know why. Holy shit. Yeah, I um, think I think that happened because it I started playing it when something else had just come out. Yeah. But the good thing is is that I have gone back since and played it uh, several times and yeah, Josephine is a character that stands out to me. I have a I have a take that I want to share with you guys that okay. that okay. might rile the BioWare fans. Josephine is the Garrus of Mass Effect. Jesus Christ. All right. All that right. That is... Elaborate. So mostly I, re- I mean that in terms of pursuing her as a relationship because like Garrus, she is professional. She is stoic. She is strong. Um, she is willful and she is a badass. But the minute you start romancing her, she becomes an awkward dork and I love it. Like mm. she gets nervous, she gets goofy, she makes mistakes, mm. and and I I love that kind of crossover in my um, Bioware romances, especially considering I myself am an awkward dork at heart. Hmm. Have you ever romanced Cassandra? Uh, yes, I believe so, and yes, yeah, you get a lot of the same vibe from her too. Yeah, like Cassandra's romance has some similar vibes of just being this kind of. I guess you have a character and you're presented one side of them. I I almost want to say that a lot of Inquisition's romances are like this when you think about it. Like you kind of get the surface level with just the general companion quests and hanging out with them and all that, but then once you get into their romance, into the what I, I, what would you call it? courtship? <laughs> Is that the word I'm looking for? I guess. Um once you get into that you, you do kind of reveal a few more things. I think for some of the characters, it makes sense that uh, the second things become a little heavy, they, they become a little bit more human. Uh, we certainly have a lot of that with Josie because, as we noted before this podcast started, uh, when Ken and I and, and Matt were in here talking, uh, <laughs> Josephine has two romance side quests. And, and, well, really, one of them is not much of a side quest. It's kind of just a side thing it kind of reminds me of dragon age origins uh in a way that we'll talk about but uh yeah josephine her her character i feel like you get glimpses of it if you are just playing like a friendship route or whatever you want to call it but uh you really get to delve deep if you do the romance stuff Mm -hmm. um but i guess the other thing we should note before we start talking about the the quests themselves is ken this is the first uh advisor we're talking Mm -hmm. about and 
I'm I'm just curious from your experiences and, and Matt, I'll I'll send it to you after Ken, but um what is does the relationship just feel a little bit different? This being a character that is not kind of in your party all the time and able to be there for some of the the larger moments, I guess. Yeah, I think it's something to, I kind of know that to varying degrees with Eliana and Colin as well. There is like a bit of a not necessarily detachment, I want to say, but like th- they feel a little arm's length to like what's going on on the front lines, um, and you know that is, I guess, kind of makes sense because like they're they're the people that are supposed to kind of be in charge of like all these forces and all of these uh, like the politics of the Inquisition. Like there has to be that level of detachment, like where you're not necessarily personally invested in the things the way that um, like you know we are as people that are actually having to go out and do these things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, to an extent, that kind of makes their story... I don't think it makes them necessarily worse or better. I just think it makes it feel like... Like, Josie feels like almost like a kind of... Like, this break from Corypheus. And this break from worrying about, like, the state of things. Because, like, her... Uh, like, her quests and stuff, they're more... Like, they're so closely tied to her in ways that don't really overlap with the main story in any way. That, like, I feel mm-hmm. like I... Like, we get less time with them, but I think we're given, like, opportunities to really get to know them on a, on a level that we do maybe across a longer span of time with the companions. Yeah, I, I can see that. Matt, yeah, what about you, Matt? Well, so I think, yeah, I mean, I agree with everything Ken said. I think part of it, though, is, like, I mean, what this reminds me of talking about party members versus the advisors, uh, to quote my incredible co-host, MJ, uh, every... Uh, every mission you take your date, your your relationship partner with you on is a date out in the field. And so, like, you know, if you're romancing someone in Mass Effect like Garrus or Tali, you know, one of the characters who are not a ship crewmate, you can take, you know, all of it feels like part of that interaction. And when you're dating someone who's, especially in Mass Effect 3, they have a lot of that. And it's here, too, because both of these games were around the same time, same ilk, uh, sort of, with uh, advancements, with Bioware's kind of branching out the worlds it does feel a little removed when you're dating someone who can't fight alongside you. That said, I also, I like what Ken brought up, like because her, uh, Josie's missions specifically are so not related to Corypheus for the most part, they're more related to her specifically. It does feel like a break from the overwhelming odds of everything that Corypheus is throwing at you. And so like, I, I do like that about it. I think it's what I, you know, it's like, you know, when you get home from a long day of work, you don't want to talk about work. You want to hang out and chill and like relax with your partner. And I feel like her, her moments in um, Inquisition feel like that. They feel like a break from mm-hmm. finger quotes work. Right. And it's, it, uh, it, I was going to say like, especially in the case of Josie, like tonally it allows it to be like just way different than mo- pretty much anything else in this game. Like, you know, mm-hmm. some of the yeah. romance stuff like feels very like, I, I'm not I'm going to use some like dumb term that's not right but like it feels really like classical in the way that like the relationship plays out more so than you know the really um, dark fantasy of what Dragon Age typically is um, and we'll specifically get that with the uh, the unexpected engagement one which we'll get to probably near the end but um, yeah like they just they feel different but not in a bad way it's, it's, it feels like very just distinctly different from the majority of the game yeah, I, I was going to say something similar that, like, Josie's stuff, especially the romance, feels like it's taking place in a different game than, yep. than Inquisition. Yeah. Like, 
there's all this stuff going on with a rift in the sky and all that and meanwhile like you're engaging in duels over someone's hand in marriage and you're finding old family crests and it's like this is completely different feel but that's not a, a necessarily a bad thing it's hmm i i think it reflects who Josie is and makes mm-hmm. her romance stand out a little bit more. Um, and we can, we can talk about that in depth as, as we get into this stuff. But uh, the one quest that everyone does with Josephine, if you are doing your companion quests, uh, which you should be doing, come on kids, do your companion quests. It's like eating your vegetables. You got to do it. <laughs> um, hey, it's like the full course meal. What are you talking about? It is. It you gotta, is. You got to do it all. course meal. Uh, of somewhat fallen fortune is kind of interesting because first of all i feel like this quest is very missable if you're not paying attention because mm-hmm. to start it i had to go in and talk to josephine and you have to basically exhaust all of her investigate options and i think i want to say it's at least similar for other advisors that you kind of have to go out of your way to mm-hmm. engage with some of this stuff but i was just really surprised that it wasn't popping up until I'd gone through and been like, okay, let's talk about your family. Let's talk. And, you know, she's got some great stuff that she talks about with House Montillier and how uh, Antivan lines of succession work and how she's kind of the heir and she has to take care of everything. And, um, you know, she's a real workaholic. We respect that energy around here. Um, <laughs> you know, work, work, work all day. <laughs> but uh, she's she's got some great stuff and so it feels weird that you kind of like literally when i was playing it, i wish i had been streaming it uh you're just kind of exhausting all these dialogue options and you leave the dialogue window and then you start talking to her again she's like oh by the way uh i think there's people trying to kill me uh we should probably talk about that (laughs) and um the the setup of someone fallen forge is that after you've kind of learned about all of her family which was uh, originally a powerful house in Orlais that due to various things that have happened they have been somewhat exiled I believe they are currently in Antiva uh, as of Dragon Age Inquisition and uh, they're they're majorly in debt they're incredibly in debt and uh, uh, Josephine has been selling off well, not her, but her family has been selling off pieces of land to try and recover from the debt over time. But she's kind of at, you know, the the final straw. And so she has this contract that's going to allow her family to start trading with Orlais again um, and, and reestablish that uh, connection to allow them to start making that money again. Only mysteriously, uh, the person carrying her contract gets murdered and the contract itself is destroyed uh, as we do some investigation in Valreo to go talk to a Comte, uh, I can't believe I nailed that pronunciation <laughs> on the first time. I'm never going to get that right again. <laughs> nope. <laughs> we learn a little bit about Josephine. The, the House Montilliers had a classic rivalry, like very Montagues and Capulets, uh, between the Montilliers and the Du Paraquettes. And as we learn, the Du Paraquettes hired the House of Repose. Uh, which is basically an assassin's guild uh, hired them to say that any anyone who tries to reinstate Montelier's ability to trade with Orlais is like kill them you are going to kill them for us 
and that that contract has been locked away in a vault for over a hundred years, but has only just now come to fruition, resulting in the death of the messenger. And as we soon learn, uh, immediate impending danger for Josephine, who is trying to restore that relationship. Uh, and we also learned that the Comte is not actually a Comte, but a member of the House of Repose, who's kind of giving us like a fair warning before the House makes an attempt on Josie's life. Um, I know I sped through a lot of like proper nouns and stuff there, uh, <laughs> but I, I did so without pause because I really want to emphasize holy crap this is like nothing we have done in this game so far mm -hmm. and i'm loving every goddamn second of it <laughs> um i live for this like court intrigue stuff like once we get to i think one of the main missions that everyone remembers from inquisition uh wicked eyes and wicked hearts you know i'll really get to gush about it but this stuff with Orlay and with the you know kind of nobles scheming against each other and secret back alley deals and all old rivalries and stuff like that like I dig this stuff this is mm -hmm. the stuff that I felt you know we kind of got an inkling of it in Dragon Age 2 but I feel like even once like it went from Hawk is you know not part of a noble family and this does not get to really compete in the game to Oh, Hawk is now the most powerful person in Kirkwall. Mm. Uh, and and you just get to do hero things now. There was no... You don't get to move around in the space the way that Josie and the Inquisitor, by extension, do. Like, you don't get to play the game in Kirkwall. But here, you get to kind of see firsthand what that's like and see some of that intrigue. And I just think that's really awesome. But, uh, like, Ken, where were you at with this stuff? I think what this mission and, and by extension Wicked Eyes and Wicked Hearts kind of like is interesting to me about like in terms of how it relates to Josephine is like we spend all this time you know we're going through like we're going into the Fade we're fighting Corypheus we're doing all these like larger than life things but it's weird to kind of like finally kind of get a glimpse of the stuff that Josie is constantly shielding us from because like you mm -hmm. know at the like you know when we're doing War Table stuff we kind of get a glimpse into it um when we walk, like when we were at, still back at Haven, and like you know, there was a uh, some noble that came in, was like moving around, like trying to get a sense of the place. And, you know, we we kind of see the things that she, uh, you know, is doing on the daily, but more often than not, we just kind of like get a very passing glance at it. Where it's interesting to like come in there, like kind of like a brute that it can have, you know. Uh, maybe like maybe you want to handle this uh like when when the uh the, the guy from the house of repose is trying to leave you have the option to like fight and i think i'm not sure if jo josie is like for or against that if you do it but like watching characters have like these very different approaches and that'll you know come into more and we get a little bit further in the quest um it's really fascinating to me just like to see the like the things that we do with like the war table like be something that we see in front of us instead of just these like text documents that we can read yeah, totally. I think mm. that with um, with this quest specifically, like when I picked it up, it's funny, like Eric, you were talking earlier about how like you have to dig for this, but as someone who was actively pursuing Josephine and was interested in everything she had to say, I was naturally doing all of that just because I wanted to, you know, see if it was kissing time or not. And uh, <laughs> and so like a, a, a quote I can, I am again stealing from my co-host on my other podcast. Um, but like because of that, like I was very invested in her story already. And so when this came up, I just thought it was a regular mission like anything else. Because if you're, if you're not really paying attention 
to the companion quests, you can just end up going to one like any other mission. And um, and I kind of like that, that it's not like a big bold letter saying, this is a companion quest. You have to do this for your companion. Like, if you're exploring the mission log, you'll know that. But otherwise, you just, oh, there's a mission. Oh, Josephine's photo's on it. Let's do it. Um, and I was just kind of caught off guard by it. And for the same reason, Eric. Like, I love this kind of intrigue because it feels very BBC drama almost, you know? It doesn't feel like Dragon Age and... and like Ken said earlier, that's a good thing. I like when Bioware games step outside themselves a bit, um, you know, and especially in their later games, they got so much better at building the world. And this mission specifically, as well as the others um, with Josephine, build this world so well beyond great evil, hero of the day, stop everything. I think... The more I've thought about it, and by the way, I did look it up while we were talking uh, using my handy-dandy Dragon Age The World of Thetis Volume 2, which I ordered <laughs> off Amazon after Ken told me about it. Uh, Josephine is from Antifa. Uh, I probably could have Googled that, but I wanted to use my handy-dandy <laughs> big old volume. <laughs> you know, it's got to do something. Right. Um, so the thing that also sticks out to me about Orlais, um, and maybe this is... You know, I, I might not have fully formed this thought yet, but in in Dragon Age, so many of our conflicts are kind of predetermined from the outset mm -hmm. and kind of established, and we know what they're going to be. You know, you have over here is Mage Templar. Like I think uh, Dragon Age Origins is maybe the most obvious situation of this, where it's like over here is where the hero of Ferelden will deal with mage and Templar things. And over here is where they'll deal with dwarf things. And over here is where they'll deal with elf things. And then all of them will come together at the end after you do the human things. And then the game will end. And it's like very discreet. Um, and it's usually very centered on, let's say, like the conflicts tend to be more like, either outright war between two factions or it's just kind of a larger question it's not this like this is relatively small scale stuff like we've been saying like this is an assassin's guild that's been hired by a family to you know attack another family and it's long heritages and it's it's this intrigue that is like very crusader kingsy but it's something that i was trying to think on it i mentioned this again like dragon age does not grapple with and so it makes that it gives like a new way for us to kind of experience the world um like the the thing i kept thinking about while i was playing this mission was i think we're so used to experiencing the world of dragon age up to this point in terms of conflict and and, and maybe like outright conflict like we are the hero and we are inserting ourselves into the middle of two parties that are fighting with each other whereas you know this mission but more specifically Josie's later romance mission is kind of just stuff that happens day to day in Orlais mm, yeah. <laughs> and um and I think the more that these companion quests kind of delve into that stuff the more I end up caring about that because it just makes this world feel larger than just the mage templar conflict or just the um you know the the elven struggles that yeah. you know with the woods and stuff like that uh it's it, it's letting me see the larger picture and, and like ken said you know it's not it's not just text it's it's we're seeing it acted out on screen um the <laughs> 
the the other cool thing that i wanted to note before we move on is that uh this is you mentioned something about companion quests and how they're just like kind of another mission another Mm -hmm. quest i this was the moment in the game where i started thinking about that because i was like wait i've done like so many of these companion quests but none of these are like ticking a loyalty box right none of these are Mm. uh turning into a thing where at the end if i didn't loyalty somebody they're going to die in the suicide mission or whatever (laughs) um i mean granted i bioware's really only done that sort of thing once um i guess i guess you could say twice with uh or or a couple times with the way the dragon h2 also handles some of the loyalty stuff and whether characters stay or leave yeah but um by inquisition it's cool that this stuff ends up just kind of informing a character's epilogue in a way and like in in ways that i was looking up last night how many different ways uh epilogues can change for characters based on decisions that you make in a game you know depending on things that happen in trespasser but also like decisions that you make in their companion quests and and decisions like one that we're going to make here actually does kind of somewhat affect josephine's epilogue um and that decision is you know now that we've found out what's up with the house of repose we're back at skyhold we're brainstorming and leliana who if we've been doing all the conversations that we're supposed to be doing up to this point uh we learned that leliana and josie are actually good friends they they met each other while they were in valroyo together um and (laughs) josie wants to take a very roundabout approach a very political approach you know kind of gather different favors and elevate the do paraquets so that way in exchange the do paraquets will call off the contract Leliana's like, come on, Josie. <laughs> You've got an attempt out on your life. Let's just sneak into the assassin base and destroy the contract, and then the assassins won't have any reason to chase anymore because the contract doesn't exist anymore. Uh, and and the central difference between these two is that Leliana implies that, yes, that will mean they'll have to kill some people to get this done, and Josie does not want to shed blood over this issue. Um, which I think both like informs her character very interestingly, mm. but also like this is <laughs> the game literally at this point is like, okay, you have two options and it's like, do all these additional things of talking to people and going back and forth between Valreo. And I think, I don't know if this was intentional, but it's very much like you are constantly just, oh, okay, I gotta go back out to the world map. I gotta <laughs> go to this. I gotta talk to this person. Now I gotta go back to Skyhold. Like, I feel like it's just constantly taunting you with that, like, hey, you just give Leliana the word and this is all taken care of. This is done. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, this feels very classic Bioware in the fact that, like, the, the, not necessarily good or evil here, but, like, the aggressive option is super simple and direct and then the not aggressive option is like meandering uh we were just talking about this on reignite shameless plug uh we were talking about hey, the plug op- all you want on this by the way i was going to mention that earlier but like <laughs> plug all you want on this Thank you're you. all about cross-pollination here um but no on my mass effect podcast reignite because we haven't gotten through all of mass effect yet we're taking our sweet ass time because we are <laughs> meandering 
through it. Um, but no, we speeding we, through it like us here at Normandy <laughs> FM. <laughs> but but we are doing Mass Effect three right now, and we just had the incredible Nelson Lugo back on to talk about Arya's DLC um, in three mm-hmm. and. The pre lead up to that before the DLC was released is you had to do a bunch of faction stuff on the on the Citadel and one of them with General Arrakis is like you have to get him to back down um, from these different arms deals so he he can get weapons another way and like the Paragon quote unquote way to do it is to like go to this arms dealer and then go to a planet and get like a relic and then bring it back to the arms dealer and then go to Arrakis again whereas like the Renegade way is just have him killed. And mm-hmm. and the meta shows so much in those moments. And while I love most, let's say most of Bioware's games, when those moments happen, it's a little frustrating because my brain goes, well, I could do what personally as a character, if I was in those shoes, would do. Or I could do the thing that makes the game go faster because I have a lot of games to play, you know? Mm-hmm. And that kind of drives me nuts. It's not a bad thing necessarily, but it's definitely something I notice more when I replay them than when I first played through them. This is why you go Renegade. <laughs> it's that simple. I, I mean, Ken, did you just take the easy option in this one? Actually, I if, no. What I ended up doing was I ended up taking Joseph's way of doing things, and that was mainly out of like respect for what she wanted mm-hmm. to do for her own situation. Yeah. Right. Because I mean, yeah, like I like Liliana, like you're making great points right now, but I don't feel like it's on us to like the two of us to kind of like make that decision for her because I mean. As, you know, simple and effective as the brute force way might be, maybe we, like the two of us, me, me and her, uh, me and Liliana, don't have, like, the knowledge to really understand the wider ramifications that might have. And while where Josie is, like, so calculated and, like, has her fingers on the pulse of everything that's happening in the situation, that she might be thinking of, like, all these other things that could possibly go wrong, like these ripple effects of something like an assassination. Um, so I just decided to go with what Josie wanted just because... Honestly, like, I, I, it's not that it doesn't take me that much longer to do what she's asking. So, mm-hmm. yeah, in, in the scheme of things, I feel like the extra steps are just kind of there to create this feeling of like, oh, I'm really going to all this length, aren't I? Um, yeah. And and you can so one other thing I want to know before we kind of get to how this all wraps up, uh, which is actually probably one of my favorite conversations so far in this game. Um, you you meet up with these various uh let's call them dignitaries or whatever uh one of them is uh the minister belize who you meet up with outside of a party uh and you convince her to assist you but you can seduce her if you are not locked into a romance but and and i knew this going in because i knew that was an option that it hands you that you can like try seducing her but she is also like i don't know if i missed this the first time i played this game i didn't seduce her when i played that game either i just was like hey do this thing and you'll have like contacts outside the inquisition and all that like you can spread your network that way it's good for you it's good for me let's do this um but she's a little bit racist she's there was like a racist undertone to this old lady that i was like huh because she mentioned something where she's like uh oh the two parakets i hate them at least josie's from good stock and i was like anytime somebody says that they're at least a little racist (laughs) like they are they register on the the racistometer (laughs) 
uh like one of those little nuclear radiation detector thingies it starts clicking <laughs> um <laughs> it's yeah anyways i just want to mention that because i was like oh there are racist old ladies in dragon age look at that <laughs> I mean, truly a well-developed world <laughs> yeah i mean bioware doesn't shy away from that i mean the thing that oh, probably no. comes up in mass effect the most is oh Ash- ashley williams the space racist the spacist <laughs> Um, you know, and so I think that <laughs> whether they do it well or not, I will let the audience decide because I have my own Damn. thoughts. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, we, we've talked about it to, to various degrees on, on here and, and recently on our panel, if you watched um, mm-hmm. our PAX panel, which aired earlier this week, uh, and the full audio feed of it's up on the uh, the Norm DFM feed right now, but... I thought Natalie got into some really interesting stuff around the way that Sarah uh, and and like very deep concepts of race are, mm-hmm. are kind of addressed in this game. And like I've, I've mentioned before, playing as an elf, uh, that <laughs> suddenly like it's night and day, y'all. <laughs> you're yep. playing like a human mage, and you're like, man, everything's great right now. Everybody loves me. And then you play an elf, and you're like, oh god. <laughs> um, so. I, it's making me want to do a Canary run because I've never played a Canary uh, in in Dragon Age Inquisition. Now I'm really curious. So, uh, but yeah, that that thing happens. <laughs> but then we we finally get everything solved. Uh, the assassins are no longer trying to kill Josie. Josie is freed to set up her contract and begin family trade in Orlais again. And we meet up at Valrio on the docks to talk with her a little bit and kind of you know establish some more character building and this is i normally this is the sort of conversation that we just kind of skim over because it's very much like a wrapping the mission you know we really grew closer didn't we inquisitor but this one specifically josie talks about how while she was in university she learned about bards and you know like bards in the dragon age universe are they're they're you know they are singers and artists and charming but they're also spies and they kill people and stuff like that and you know leliana talks a lot about being a bard in origins and i think it's kind of implied here that that's how josie met leliana was they were both bards in valreo at the time but josie has this really really like just kind of surprise out of left field story about her getting into a fight with another bard who was trying to kill her charge basically and she ends up accidentally killing him and uh and and then realizes after she takes the bards the the opponent bards mask off that it was someone that she knew and she has like these incredible lines that are about you know like you can tell her oh it was self-defense you know he had a knife he was trying to come for you and she kind of pushed at him to get him away and he fell down the stairs and and died and she's like uh you know i not a day goes by that i don't think about what that who that boy might have grown up to be mm. and all that and it's just this was I, I mentioned it before on our pax panel and stuff that i was kind of not really f- like vibing with josie i wasn't really getting a lot out of her character you know i thought her her stuff with her family was kind of interesting and the things that happened around her were interesting but i thought her as a character was just not really interesting me at all this was the complete 180 on that like this was the characterization that i was waiting for that i was i was hoping for like hey this is 
extremely human moment from Josie and like this tells me a bit about her this informs the way that she thinks about things explains why she probably didn't want to shed blood in the first place because we'd be sending a lot of assassins in like she had been and you know it's like that it's a cool moment and I feel like as as great as the whole murder plot of this you know companion quest is and, and all the great Orlesian stuff like this moment was what stood out to me I don't know if we had any other thoughts on that. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I just you you go ahead, Matt. I was just gonna say it kind of defines her character, right? Like, and mm-hmm. and I like when Bioware when they do character work right and they surprise mm-hmm. you is when they're at their best. You know, like um, I I think I think to back to so many characters in Mass Effect One or Dragon Age Origins that I was just like. Pfft. These characters are boring, one note, one dimensional. I mean, I said about Caden at the beginning of our replay of Mass Effect 1, and now I love Caden. I am become a Caden stan. You're welcome, Shep. Um, <laughs> and, like, and it's because I explored his options more. I listened to his stories more. And like, it, it, Josie is a classic example also of like a character that could appear boring if you're not taking in all the information, but if you're paying attention, right. there are more layers. And that's those are the kinds of characters that Bioware does best, I feel like. You know, the loud, boisterous characters or the, the caricatures, you know, or the cartoony characters are great and they serve their purposes too, but the ones that really have the subtle writing are some of my favorites because there's mm-hmm. so much you can find if you want to dig in. Yeah. I think my sort of wrapping thoughts when we when I got to the end of this was it made me like retroactively feel a lot better about not taking Liliana's you know easier path mm-hmm. because you think about like the two of them you know they we established that they knew each other and then they both were like coming from like they, they were both bard so like there had to have been like that turning point where they both diverged and seeing that like you know she decided to go into politics instead of being a bard the way that Leon did. And, you know, it was that defining moment for her that made their way of going about these things so drastically different. It felt like, I don't know that it's necessarily calling it the right decision, but it felt like kind of justified to have gone with her more roundabout way of doing it because it just felt very respectful of kind of like the journey that she has had, like not trying to be like, oh, you were maybe wrong in that moment where you decided that maybe you are going to use your words instead of a weapon. Um... So I, I just I was really a big fan of the way this kind of concluded because it felt kind of like throughout it had it had established a foil kind of relationship between Josie and Liliana in a way that I really appreciate. Mm. Yeah, it's um it's cool and it, this is kind of the only real like mention we get of that stuff too because as we get into the romance stuff with Josie, it's a little bit more about her as a character and and kind of I guess I don't know I I have several different feelings about Josie's romance so let's let's really get into it here <laughs> um the f- the first one we do have like a, a mild side quest called heraldry from a herald uh which is kind of you can learn from Josephine that uh she's wanted to see her family's crest but it's impossible to find since they were exiled uh so you can kind of hunt down a I think it's a boat yeah it's a boat mm-hmm. um that has her crest on it just kind of reminder and I, this was the thing I mentioned that reminded me of Origins because this is very much like an Origins quest. Like, oh, I found this thing. <laughs> it's like, a thing you quest. like. Please, yeah. please give me approval for, for this. Here's a present. Uh, I mean, like every, me more. I mean, like everyone's got, or the romance, all of them have that. Like, you know, the gift quest. Like, Dorian had his um, family's medallion and 
Mm-hmm. Sarah has her entire thing about you trying to find something for her, and um, mm-hmm. so like you know, it it doesn't really feel necessarily on the lines of something like Origins, where it's like an, an approval thing. It just feels like, especially because like, they have specifically tied them to romance now. Like yeah. that is more like a gift that you are giving to your lover. Yeah. Um, but it, I don't know. Just the fact, I guess, that it was a gift, an item that you just handed. So it just reminded me a lot of Origins. I was like, oh, okay, cool. It's one of these. Um, the the really the interesting one is so an unexpected engagement. Uh, if you have already like started a romance with Josephine, which I think at this point means that you have done the heraldry from a herald uh, quest, you will learn that her parents, who did not know that there was some you know something going on between the Inquisitor and Josie, have arranged for Josie to be married uh, to a nobleman from her childhood, um, and <laughs> she's not allowed to engage romantic activities, <laughs> um, and. Uh, when when you talk with her again after this, uh, she mentions that if you challenge the the guy, uh, Lord Otranto, to a duel and win, uh, you can win Josephine for yourself. Uh, but Josephine objects; she does not want you to do this. But to to advance the quest, you do have to actually do it. Uh, you have to initiate a duel by doing a war table operation, um, and. Um, once you do this you can also do an additional thing that lets you kind of just like gather information on the guy to get to get more dialogue options but once you actually do this you go to valrio and lord of toronto like basically gives you a rapier and is like okay cool let's duel let's fight right here let's go broham (laughs) um and as you start sword fighting uh it so I'm just going to be upfront. This is this is some rom com shit that goes down because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. it's very much paced to like Lord of Toronto's like no no matter what you do I will never and then Josephine yells out stop and I was like oh my god <laughs> they know what they're doing at like, least um, pushes the crowd out of the way and is yeah. like what are you doing and and she's basically like how could you do this I did not want you to do this why are you dueling for me and you have two options here you can be like uh I, you know i don't want you to have to go through this you shouldn't have to do this or you can just say i love you uh and so you kind of have the option of you know backing off or flooring it yeah and if you floor it it's very much like it's very romantic and sweet and you know, you have a kiss in the middle of the circle and Lord of Toronto like lays down his sword and is like, I cannot stand in the way of <laughs> true love and like they're cuddling by the fire and all that. <laughs> it's, it's it's a lot. It's very fairy tale romancy in a way that I was not even ready for Dragon Age to go to. <laughs> yeah. Um and then if you go the other way, Josephine's just like, Okay, you know what, fuck both of you, I'm out of here uh and then you can then opt to either like accept a duel or like a draw on the duel or just fight the dude anyways you know if you want to but it's <sighs> so the thing that weirds me out about this that i was thinking about because I've, I've been thinking about this as somebody who is now locked in a perpetual state of who the fuck am i going to romance because i fucked up the soulless romance <laughs> um <laughs> look yeah we we went over this on the last episode um 
And so Josephine, potential candidate, and I was just kind of, you know, looking at how this stuff plays out. And I, I was thinking about, I was like, why does this just, why is this weird to me? Why is this a weird romance to me? And I think the thing that gets me a bit is maybe this is just the way we're formatting the podcast that we're kind of doing all these companion quests in in chunks and so we're kind of seeing as much story as we can all at once and granted at this point to get to this mission you have to do i think to get to this specific mission you have to have already done one of the two branch off quests either here lies the abyss or wicked eyes wicked hearts yeah um but i was like man some of these romances really feel like they go zero to a hundred. Like you go from kind of playfully flirting to I love you, Josephine. And, and maybe that kind of suits it because there is a conversation that you have with Eliana where Eliana is very protective of Josephine is like, you know, she can kind of get blinded by love and I don't want you like taking it. I want you both to know what you're getting into. Basically. Um, yeah. She's, she's got kind of a big sister complex over josephine and she gives you that stern talking to uh that win is not present to deliver (laughs) (laughs) but um in this specific one i'm kind of torn between feeling like it goes zero to 100 and just kind of being a little too much too fast without enough of the like build up to that point and being like you know what that is kind of josie's character like that is who this character is for better or worse and so i'm interested to hear y'all so let's let's start with matt so i think i think part of why you might feel that way is because you screwed something else that you were paying way more attention to um look i was look i i I can't (laughs) deny it (laughs) but i think i think it i think you're right i think it is true to her character i mean my biggest issue with this mission is it's it boils down to woman as prize and like you know, I yeah. mean, Bioware is no stranger to that either in across the pantheon of games that they've done. And, like, it's getting better with every game in a lot of the games industry and then not in other places. But, like, that bothered me just a bit because, like, because Josephine is not a character who can't defend herself, even though she's not necessarily a fighter in the same way that a lot of your other party members are, she can still defend herself. And so... It, it bugs me that it leads to I'm gonna put out my chest and go fight for your for your love and it's just but it but you're right it does feel kind of princess bride in the way that it's delivered it doesn't feel like like there's a lot of over the top goofiness it you know it feels like a rom com um, mm-hmm. and I don't mind that in the in the delivery of it I, I I don't think it's unexpected for me because I was pursuing that I was interested in her mm-hmm. and her life I think it doesn't it feels less sudden that way but that said I mean this game does allow you to flirt a lot and I mean a lot. And so sometimes relationships can feel that way because you can kind of flirt willy nilly with whoever you want up until a point. And then eventually you have to make a decision where it feels like in mass effect, which is the closest companion to dragon age, as far as these kinds of relationships, those are more like you're, you could blink and then you're in a relationship with Liar in the first game and you didn't agree to it. And now you're trying to get out of it at any cost. Um, and, and so I appreciate that at least this game really doesn't lock you in until you're ready to finally make that choice, even though it does feel like it goes zero to 60. But this is also like an over-the-top situation that Josie gets herself into and that I think uh, resolves itself in a way that seems fun and a little ridiculous and, you know, 
because it's treated in that rom-com way, I don't think it's too much or over the top or too fast because of kind of the wink and nod there, especially since it feels so different from a lot of the other relationship quests. I feel like a lot of the other relationships are pursued in a, in a very different way. So this feels kind of natural for who the character was, is. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, th- I think speaking as a person who's, you know, romance story and every time I play this game, <laughs> there is, like, an issue with the way that certain relationships are gated yeah. throughout the game. Um, and it was something that I didn't realize until we, like, we got to where we were making the schedule for the season was that that's not necessarily the case for everybody. Because like, I had, mm-hmm. having only been in the Dorian relationship, which is not really gated at all, like, once you get to Skyhold, it's kind of fair game to see through and, like, you know, culminate and lock in. Uh, you know, some some relationships, I think, maybe just have that sense that, like, they go, like, they're not paced very, quote-unquote, paced very well, just because the game doesn't have, like, those roadblocks to, like, stop certain parts of them. Because, like, when we get to, because, like, at a certain point, we're going to do Here Lies the Abyss, and then we're going to continue on to other characters, and the reason that we had to format it out that way is because that was the point that those characters' missions were no longer blocked off. And right. so I think it's it's, just, it's kind of like on a very case-by-case basis as to whether or not these things are given that room to, like, make every sort of step in the relationship breathe. Um, mm-hmm. And I think Josie is, just, like, Josie, Dory, and Sarah, um, you know, they're all in that first sort of, like, block of characters that don't have the, those sort of uh, gated things, gated by uh, the actual plot. So I think it's just kind mm-hmm. of a matter of, like, those were the characters that had to be shoved to the forefront and like feel very front-loaded that way i guess my question then would be do these romances feel like they're affected by that then that you're able to kind of get so far into them because i think it's worth mentioning that especially in wicked eyes and wicked hearts there is additional content for Mm -hmm. whoever your character is romance which i think the way that we formatted this is that (laughs) Yeah, all the characters that we're doing after Wicked Eyes and Wicked Hearts are all the characters that you can't romance. <laughs> um, I don't think you can't romance Vivienne, right? Right. Am I, right. Am I wrong you, about that? Okay. You're right, but you can romance Blackwall. But the thing is, that that additional uh, content, and it, it happens, um, oh, there's yeah. this some dialogue in After Here Lies the Abyss, and you know, just kind of throughout, like I think even if like you're necessarily like quote-unquote walking in or culminating the relationship you know, early on in the game, it's still present, like, throughout, like, mm-hmm. there are conversations I have with Dorian throughout this entire game that are affected by the fact that we're in a relationship, like, he, uh, when we get through here lies the abyss, and the things that happen in that, uh, quest, he, like, has a moment where he kind of, like, straight up says to you, like, I don't think I can forgive you for making me feel like I was about to lose you there, and, um, and then, you know, look at eyes and look at hearts, that's some stuff there, and, you know, it's just, it feels very seated throughout the game, even if certain events happen earlier than others Hmm. okay i can see that yeah it's um and and to be clear like that's this is my issue at large with josie um i i think where i finally settled on it is that i think josie is just an interesting character um i don't know like she's she's definitely not a standout character for me but she is um more interesting than i gave credit for i think my my final takeaway from her is that like if you're not romancing her most of the most interesting things about her end up coming at the end of her companion quest and i ended up feeling like i want more of this character that you just revealed to me 
and i'm not going to get any more of it unless i romance her and even then when you do romance her it becomes less about like her life as a bard and kind of her life as a noble and all the intrigue and stuff like that and you know kind of personal conflicts it becomes more about like oh you love me you won me over in a sword fight and all that like i think that's that's kind of where it came from like matt you mentioned the 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 women as prize thing and that definitely is the case i think even even if if you choose kind of the wrong option here uh she walks away from both of them it's not like if you choose the wrong option she marries the other guy it's not like an airbud situation why did i go to airbud <laughs> um, no idea <laughs> wow uh that is the weirdest pop culture pull i was thinking about that scene the other day where airbud like it's between the old owner and the kid and they put airbud in the middle and they're like okay we'll go to whoever you you want to mm. stay with and <laughs> airbud goes to the kid yeah that's airbud right that's not like a different the one dog movie where the dog does not die I mean, that's not how Marley and me ends. I mean, no, <laughs> definitely not. <laughs> um, anyway, so we don't get off on Airbud related tangents. Um, yeah, it's I. I just end up feeling like Josie is this really interesting character who I really hope they you know for for all that we're likely going to be doing in Dragon Age Four. Josie seems like a character who is poised to play not just a role, but like a fairly significant role, mm-hmm. given that she is a highly connected person. She's already established as this like Dragon Age character who is involved in politics, who is involved in intrigue, who who does things that the player does not do. Yeah. Like, if you right. think about the things that, let's say... And Ken, this is going to make you furious for a moment. Right. Let's say, let's say a reason <laughs> for why Dorian may not be a party member in the next Dragon Age could be like, oh well, we wanted to do a different kind of character that fills that role, but we wanted them to be someone new that you talk to, and and do that. But like, the nice thing about having the advisors is that they're not really filling a gameplay role necessarily they're not filling a companion role they're not filling a combat role uh you know something that the player is actively engaging with they're filling a role that the player passively engages with and so it's a little bit easier like i think we saw this like it it makes sense for leliana and i think this makes sense for varic to eventually fill a similar role in dragon age is that these are characters that you can engage with um same as like rex in mass effect 3 like these are characters that you engage with but there's not really an issue of like oh they're going to fill a spot on the card that is already filled by somebody else um you can have that separation and have them be interactable have them play a role in the story without necessarily worrying about them constantly being in the party and how you address that moving forward and how you address them meeting new characters and stuff like that um it's all my way of saying josie better get a lot more exposition <laughs> in dragon age 4 because come on like court intrigue character from antiva like that's that's perfect that's what we want um it's what i want that's for sure yeah. um yeah i mean i th- i think what dragon age inquisition does better than mass effect yes i said it is um <laughs> is those advisory roles and like they did a little bit of that in mass effect 3 with the like when you brought the the counselors and everyone on the ship to do the peace summit like they were interactable and sort of in the same kind of advisor role but like none of the important the only important characters on the ship that are party are party members or people who are part of the staff that are kind of established from the beginning and i do wish that they would bring more people from previous games on the ship 
that may not be in your party. Like, you know. Mm, yeah. Mass Effect did do a lot of callbacks really well, but, like, it's frustrating that, like, Thane, who I still say should be romanceable by anybody, anywhere, do it, Bioware. Um, <laughs> it's sad that in the third game he's just on the Citadel. Now, it makes sense for the story, but, like, imagine if, even, like, and you ask him to join you and he says that his, his time is done, but, like, imagine if he was on the ship and, like, just hanging out and, like, you could seek advice or combat strategy. Like, I think that, uh, Dragon Age Inquisition does that really well with these characters who still mean something to the player if you have prior experience and even if you don't like I I played the first game I never finished Dragon Age 2 it's my deep dark secret I'll eventually go back and play it oh, As, I know especially if oh, we Matt. especially if we do it for reignite to follow in your footsteps which we likely will uh, to some degree <laughs> um, like I'll get more attached to these characters, but to see them, even the characters, like I know who Hawk is and I know that he's important and it's so cool when he comes in in a whirlwind and then disappears again, but like though, because they hang out where you are and you can check in with them and talk to them more in a Normandy kind of situation, I think it adds impact and having characters who are just important as important to the story who aren't on the battlefield with you, I think is something that adds to the kind of character stuff that uh, you and I are both talking about, Eric. I think, you know, being able to dig deeper in those things and have more of those kinds of characters will only help a series like Dragon Age. Because I feel like Dragon Age found its footing with this game. Personally, mm -hmm. like, I like mm -hmm. the first two games well enough. Um, but I feel like Dragon Age Inquisition is what these games should have been the whole time and could have been, depending on when they had come out. Because um, I feel like this has a better sense of storytelling and flow than the other two games. Mm. Well, if we've learned anything through this entire podcast series, it's never expect Dragon Age to do the sensible thing. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, Ken, what what are your kind of closing thoughts on on Josephine here? Like, how did how did you come away from from your time with Josephine? Uh, I think I in the the grand theme of things, she's probably my favorite advisor to it to like interact with and like have oh, wow. a sort of what feels like an actual I guess an actual relationship because like I, Cullen is like. Uh, there's like a weird tension already between me and him because I, I play the mage and like he has his regressive opinions. Um, Liliana, I've I'm not to like cannibalize our episode for her, but there I'm I'm maybe taken aback by some of the the ways that she can go in this game and that the, I guess the way that you affect her, her path is not necessarily tele telegraphed to you. Um, so I think Josie, like, I just, I, I remember the conversations that I had with her more often. I feel like she was this, uh, like, just a very casual friend in, mm -hmm. in, a, in like, a place like Skyhold where a lot of those relationships feel like business. Like, even, uh, like, you know, Vivienne, like, she and I don't get along. So, like, every time I feel, like, every, every time I talk to her, I feel like I'm in, like, in like a transaction of, of some sort. Um... Where even though Josephine and I, like, come from two completely different worlds, there is, like, that place where we meet in the middle where, like, she just feels very human to me in a way that not every character in Inquisition does. And so, like, I... Like, I remember, like, conversations where, like, uh, we were at Haven and I mentioned... Or my character mentions that he had a crush on one of the Templars at the Circle and, like, she, like, felt that she was like, no, you have to tell me everything. Tell me all, tell me all the juicy details. <laughs> and, like, nothing happened. Like, there, there was nothing for me to tell um, because I was too scared to say anything. Um, she just she feels like a relationship that I don't have with anybody else in this game, and that's what I think 
makes it stick out to me versus Colin and Lillian, and just like a large like large swath of this cast in general. Yeah, she's definitely um, seems the most playful out of a lot of them. Mm-hmm. Besides, you know, of course, the the major players from previous games and like characters who you know have always been kind of more comical or brash but she's kind of subtly funny in a lot of moments in this game just like with her expression and the things she says and her laugh ah she has the best laugh um sorry i had a moment uh but i think why i like her is she feels the most for lack of a better word human she feels the most down-to-earth character of everyone in the cast um Mm -hmm. and just feels very you know, comforting and warm. And I like those kinds of characters, you know. I'm not attracted to the bad boys or girls or theys. Um, mm. and, and, and I like that about her character. I like that, you know, even... And again, why I'd compare her to Garrus is Garrus is one of the few characters that I feel like even if you don't pursue a relationship with him because I'm male Shep and I can't as a man and it's criminal, um, he still... The relationship doesn't feel that different. Like he's one of those good friends that you're either really close with or close and beyond. And I get the same kind of feeling from Josephine that even if you don't pursue a relationship with her, she's still really close to you and you still get along really well. And it's not, it's not just about the transaction of being in a finger quotes relationship. It's more than that. I'm glad y'all brought that up. Cause I think that that was like the last piece of the puzzle I needed to like figure out why I feel this way about the relationships in this game Yeah, is that it does feel like a lot of characters in this game, you kind of have either, you know, your normal inquisitor relationship with them, or you have full on romance. And it, especially in the case of some characters, it doesn't feel like there's a between, but for some, and I think those are the characters that end up being the standouts for a lot of people like Dorian and Josephine, uh, you get, or, or like Iron Bull is another example who we'll be talking about next week. Surprise, surprise. Um, <laughs> who even if you don't end up romancing this character you still feel like that relationship is very meaningful Mm -hmm. that relationship is it it exists beyond the the you know two spider-mans wrestling under a blanket so (laughs) it's um i think that is that is it and that's maybe why even though josephine doesn't I'm bummed that there wasn't more Josephine in this game in an, in a platonic manner. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do still want to know a lot more about her because she is that kind of character that, that generates that interest. So um, as always, we are Normandy FM. We have a Patreon, patreon.com slash Normandy FM, where you can head over and support us. We have lots of wonderful patrons who back us every week. And every week we shout out the ones who back us at a certain tier we have kevin kutlikowski chris johns alice hawk colin just colin just reds just zach mickle and the wedge of destiny thank you all so much for for, uh backing us on patreon if you are unable to do so you can still head over to twitter.com slash normdfm show follow us there uh we did just have a pax panel that went live i don't know when the vod for that is going to go live but if you want to listen to the fully uncut audio that is on this podcast feed um it was a blast. We had Natalie and Josh on to talk, as well as Ash Parrish, who will be a future knock on wood. Uh, you know, just don't want to <laughs> don't want to nail anything down because we have had situations in the past where we kind of had to last minute figure out some guest situations. But as far as we know, uh, Ash will be on in the future to talk about a character. But next week we will be talking about uh, Iron Bull, and we'll be doing so with 
Stephen Strom. Yes. Uh, nice. From Fanbyte. Very excited to have them on the show. It's going to be great. God, I'm ready to talk about Iron Bowl. Uh, <laughs> you want to talk about me being in a place where I have rebounded from Solus and am back on the market, and Iron Bowl is standing right over there. <laughs> <laughs> so we will we will see if those romantic escapades come to fruition. Matt, real quick, give the listeners at home a rundown about your show. You've been talking about it. I want you to do a little shout-out about Reignite on here and tell them about this awesome podcast that if they are also Bioware fans, they should be listening to. Sure, thank you. Uh, first of all, thank you for having me on the show. Um, I've loved what you guys have done since the early days of the uh, first episodes about Mass Effect 1. Um, the episode where you talk about the clinic and Dr. Michelle, which is so early on, is still one of my favorites just because of, of just the conversation and you know how how you broke down the citadel but anyway enough about oh, you oh that means a lot um <laughs> that actually means a lot i'm gonna get a little emotional over here. <laughs> um i uh, as eric mentioned i do do a podcast called reignite i do it with the incredible mj bradley lestrange um we are going through the mass effect trilogy we're currently in season three and on mass effect three um i remember in the early days of doing reignite when um she, uh, she discovered y'all and mentioned it, I was like, ah, oh, our sworn enemies, the only other Mass Effect podcast, <laughs> um, which of course y'all aren't, um, we adore you. But uh, yeah, it, if you like deep dives into storytelling, which you must if you're listening to this, if you like talking about lore, which again, you must if you're listening to this, and if you want to listen to two um, jackasses talk about what they do if they were Shepard, uh, you should listen to our podcast. Uh, it's been a lot of fun exploring these relationships as if I'm in them, because we do that passively, but when you're actively trying to do it, you might fall in love with Caden Alenko. It just might happen. Um, so you can find it at Reignite Pod on just about every platform. We are um, also on the Certain POV Podcast Network, along with a bunch of other shows that I do. If you want to keep up with just what I'm doing, uh, the best place to go is Twitter, twitter.com slash DJ underscore Stormageddon, and you can find all the stuff that I do there awesome hey we're we're happy to have you on like again we i think we had a similar reaction over here where i think ken pulled it up one day and i was like oh another mass effect podcast we have to destroy them but it turns out that we can coexist <laughs> there can be multiple bioware podcasts in the world because there is so much to talk about and we we're happy to finally have you on and get some of that discussion on here. Well, um, well, thank you again. It's been a blast. I adore the two of you. It was a blast meeting you at uh, PAX East in person way, way back mm. in the before times of March of this in the, year. In the ancient times. In the before times when <laughs> things existed and events existed. <laughs> exactly. You know, maybe that will happen again at some point. I mean, at this point, Ken, we've ranked all the Mass Effect companions. We've ranked mm. all the Dragon Age companions. Where do we go from here? Like, what do we do for another PAX panel? Because we got we got to do more. Do we do like, do we do a Thunderdome? Do we rank all the companions? Oh God! Every <laughs> single one of them. We have managed to go over like time wise on both of these panels when it was just one thing. <laughs> so I can't imagine how long it would take to actually hash that out. But we're gonna have to think of some creative ways to to do more more companion related content because that is truly truly what matters but we will be talking about more companions we'll be talking about more dragon age and we'll see you next time on norm dfm Oh, 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 oh,
and waited 